Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Work-life balance is a concept for men. For women, it's work, 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 life balance. You know, I mean. <laughs> Welcome to Bearcat, a podcast for serious women. I'm Amy Westervelt. And I'm Brittany Shute. That was Masako Ishii Kuntz you heard in the intro. Masako trains all of the home ec teachers in Tokyo. Training home economic teachers is more radical than it sounds. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into the why of that in a second. Amy, how exactly did you meet Misako? So I was researching a book that I wrote this year about the history of American perceptions of motherhood and how those perceptions really impact women, whether they have kids or not, in terms of policies that get put in place, laws, healthcare, workplace culture, you name it. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot for <laughs> one lot. book. It's a lot. And it's very, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's very relevant uh, to many women's lives, yours, yes. mine, everyone we know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I feel like in general, um, in this culture in particular, and in most other cultures, women are often kind of boiled down to our reproductive capacity and what we decide to do with it. Mm -hmm. So we talk about that a lot. (laughs) Yeah, your Mm -hmm. your reproductive uh, capacity, my lack thereof. Yes, Yes. (laughs) Uh, this culture being uh, American. Yeah, like North American, North American, Western in general. I Western, would say, Western has culture. that, and actually, like really, a lot of different cultures. Yeah, kind of do that too. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so whenever you read anything about this topic in the U.S., the examples in other countries that people point to are always Sweden, the Netherlands, or Denmark. And I, yeah, I know. <laughs> and so I, like every time I would read these things, I would be like, okay, but we're so far apart from that culturally and economically. Like we have a capitalist democracy and we're comparing ourselves to socialist democracies, which are not really that comparable and would require, it would require a massive shift for us to get there. So I started looking at, okay, well, what are some of the countries that have economies that are similar to ours doing? And the first one I thought of was Japan, because I feel like the only people that outwork Americans and out outdo Americans in, in the competition for who works more is the Japanese. Yes. <laughs> so yes. I was like, what's Japan doing? And I also knew that Japan had this birth rate decline that they've been grappling with for a long time. And that's something that's become more and more of a topic here. It's a, a big part of, of why people, you know, wring their hands about the quote unquote demographic winter that's coming um, because white women aren't having enough babies. Is that is that what people generally define as the demographic winter? Yes. Well, how, what do people generally define as the demographic winter? It's basically that by the year, I believe it's 2040 or 20, maybe even 2030, what we call the white ethno majority in the U.S. will not be the majority anymore, that it will be people of various other races that will have a demographic majority. And so there's a large percentage of 
nationalists and particularly white nationalists who are very concerned about this. Why, why are people so concerned about that? The decline of birth rate in general is often seen as a problem by economists because there's just a simple labor force issue and also number of consumers. There's fewer consumers, your economy's not going to grow. And we know that the U.S. is very concerned with growth as the ultimate metric of success always. So if we're not growing, if the economy's not growing, then that's seen as a problem. Um, in Japan, that's been the case for quite a while. And one really interesting thing that they've found is that while the assumption has always been that if population goes down, then emissions will go down too. So that's been like the one positive thing that people see about lower population. Yeah. In fact, not so. Not so. Scandinavia, <laughs> Scandinavia also does not benefit from this yes. supposed decline. Yes. So really what actually happens, as you could probably figure out if you know any humans, is that <laughs> like people just consume more. Yeah. So it, it kind of like evens out in the end. Each person emits more, so it kind of washes out. So how does Masako teaching home economics in Tokyo yeah. uh, factor into your book research? <laughs> yes. So I was like, okay, forget Sweden. No offense, Sweden. We're so not going to be Scandinavian. Who's doing stuff that like might actually be applicable here? And I knew that because Japan's been grappling with this whole birth rate thing, one of the things that they've tried to do is to basically make it more appealing for women to have children. How has it become more appealing to have children in Japan? Okay, so one of the things that they've done is roll out better maternity leave policies. They've also created a government-subsidized daycare system, um, which is huge. Um, and they have done various things with different companies to try to make it more, um, to try to make the workplace a little bit more accepting of working mothers. However, what they found after doing all of those things was that they, they really weren't seeing the needle budge. And so they started looking around like, okay, what, like, what else can we do? And they did this thing where they, they looked at Europe and they looked at Scandinavia in particular, and they tried to just slap all those policies on top of Japanese culture, and it didn't work. These are very different cultures, in fact. Yes, <laughs> very, very. Although they, you know, they share a lovely attention to detail, but that's mm -hmm. about it. A beautiful aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, cold. Some sometimes a love a, of cold fish. I was gonna say cold, cold fish, uh, seafood, uh, somewhat blustery climate at times, especially mm -hmm. on the coasts. Yeah, yes, but uh, work culture, no, not at all. No. Um, so they started looking at okay, like what are the main things here? What are the main things? And they figured out oh, men fathers only spend about an hour a week doing things with their children or taking care of their homes and mothers are spending 30 plus hours a week doing those things. Th this is happening in Japan? It was. And it's not that much better now. <laughs> yeah. So they, so they went, aha, okay, we need to get fathers doing more stuff. This is where Masako really had her moment because she had been researching fathers in Japan for quite a while by this point. And so she was able to be the person that they all turned to when people were wondering what was wrong. And she said, well, fathers need to do more. So this is how a fatherhood researcher wound up training home ec teachers. Yes. I yes. see. <laughs> yes. So she was able to look at the data and say, well, you know, men have been doing about this much work forever and it hasn't changed, even though women have started to work more and more and more as the years go on. So it, it's understandable that women wouldn't really be like dying to sign up for this. <laughs> 
So the government started what they call the Ikumen Project, Mm -hmm. which basically means like the good dad project or like the involved dad project. And they um, started working with companies to try to encourage them to give paternity leave, but also to really like enforce people taking it. They also... um, have been working with executives to try to institute a system where um, fathers of young children in particular are able to leave a little bit earlier from work. Now in Japan, that means like they leave at six, not 11, but still. Yeah. We'll take, we'll take, we take take what comes. Yeah. And they've also basically started a propaganda campaign around fatherhood (laughs) where they, um, we have those here too. Yeah, we We do. Those, those can be very successful. They can, they can. So you can remind men that fatherhood has many values. Yes. And that like, it's cool to be an involved dad. It is cool to be an involved dad. Um, You know, they've started all these like dad, like dad groups, the way we have mom groups here, like dad groups have become a big thing. I know, I know some uh, very, uh, I don't want to call them enlightened because Mm -hmm. they're just normal by my standards. But I know several men who are in dad groups Mm -hmm. and they, they and their children benefit tremendously. Yes. So they've started doing this in Japan as well. And, and they like do, they do a lot of like teaching of men in these groups and they also it becomes like kind of a a group reinforcement thing they set up play dates together and all that kind of stuff but it's also been like a a huge cultural propaganda thing where they have all these like famous dads in ads all over the place there are famous dads (laughs) in advertisements around japan yeah telling other men to be better fathers yeah like it's cool it's cool to be an ikumen it is it is cool (laughs) yeah what happens in a dad group they all introduce themselves they talk about how many kids they have and what age and whatever and then in the japan ones oftentimes there's some form of instruction that happens so like in a, a given week that might be about you know feeding schedules or cooking healthy food and how you can do that quickly or, you know, something like that. And then usually people will share any kind of like problem that they're having and get advice from the other people in the group. So it's good because it like gets a lot of dads together talking about fatherhood. It gets them sharing tips and things and it kind of, I don't know, just reinforces the social value of it. When is a dad group? Is it after work? Is it on the weekends? It's usually on the weekends. Cool. Yeah. Because after work would be like midnight for most Japanese dads. I was the, I was trying to figure out where this fits into the schedule, since it sounds like they're still struggling <clears throat> oh, with some and of a that lot work-life of them, balance. Yes, a lot of them bring the kids with them to the dad group. So also this builds in like an hour off at least for the mom yeah. in these situations. So yeah. it was like a way to kind of like create that without it being sort of onerous for the dads. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So where does Masako fit into I was going to say, this? can we thank Masako for dad groups in Japan? Not necessarily, although I definitely think that her research has like underscored the need for them. Um, but she she has been um, really focused on how you kind of get at this problem a little bit earlier on. So like her whole deal is, you know, okay, this is great that all these programs exist, but a lot of people aren't really taking advantage of them. Here she is explaining that. There is an increase of fathers participating in child care, but we haven't really seen any significant increase, you know. I interview so many dads in Japan and mm-hmm. the U.S. too, but um, many of them, I would say one-third of uh, dads in Japan are interested in taking childcare leave or maybe shortening their work hours so that they can spend more time with kids or something. Yeah. About 30%. 
Yeah. But when it comes to those who take childcare leave, it goes down to 3%. Wow. Yeah. So there is this gap between yeah. what they want to do and and what they feel like what, they what, do. Yeah, what they think that they should be doing, yeah. you know. And so um, Ralph, Ralph La Rosa is a sociologist in the U.S., mm-hmm. and he's written about fatherhood. Yeah. And he talked about uh, culture and conduct of fatherhood. You know, culture meaning the, the value of fathers. Right. You know, like it's important for dads to be involved in all that. And conduct simply refers to uh, actually actually doing it. Right. You know, taking care of kids and stuff. Yeah. So we can see in Japan now this gap between yeah. culture and uh, conduct. Mm-hmm. Because I see a lot of fathers are very interested in participating in child care. But at the same time, because of their long work hours or maybe because their bosses are not so understanding, they sort of end up sort of being um, outsider, you know, the circle of, of child care. And that's been happening. So a lot of dads today, they want to do it, but they can't do it because they have to work. And that sort of dilemma. I say in my book that, that I wrote in Japanese, Sociology of Ikumen Phenomena or something, yeah. um, I say in that book that it's what we're looking for in Japan is the world without any ikumen. Ikumen is normal, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and when they become normal, then ikumen has no news value. Right. Just these are just dads who are involved in chanke, just like Norwegian men and Swedish yeah. men. I say that's the kind of society that we'd like to achieve sometime. But it'll be some time until we you know we get to that stage. And in the meantime, you know, I, I think as far as culture of fatherhood is concerned, you know, men's interest in becoming more involved in, in child care, there's, there's definitely an increase and yeah. there will be an increase too. But when it comes to conduct of fathers, whether they're going to actually take child care leave or, or shorten their work hours so they can stay at home and, and take care of kids or whatever, that's going to be slowly increasing, but very slow, you know, because they we still have only 3% of dads who are taking childcare leave. There is this gap, and gap will probably narrow a little bit, but still the gap will exist for many years, and, and there's no doubt about that. So her way of doing that was to get involved with training home ec teachers, and that's because Japanese students take home ec from like kindergarten to senior year of high school. It's required. They take it every year, boys and girls. And so her, I know, it's crazy, right? That's fascinating. Yeah. And so her notion was that if kids are taking this class where they're learning all the sort of like home skills and all the things that you're supposed to learn to keep a home going, then that's a good place to be able to sort of retrain them around gender roles. Because who is in the home? Families. Right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, also, it's like, like if, okay, so like the big thing that, that you see in a lot of the research around this kind of gender division of labor is that kids learn this growing up. Yes. And then they replicate it. Yes. And so while you can't go in and engineer people's families, you can expose kids to a different way of doing things through these classes early on and consistently throughout their education. She's really like kind of subversive with all this stuff where she's specifically training her home ec teachers to teach an equal distribution of labor in the home. Uh, Here she is kind of explaining a little bit more about that. And I always say education is a key too. Um, Because 
we cannot change the attitudes of grown-up man overnight. Yeah. You know, we can keep saying, yeah, you got to do this more. You got to, you know, take care of the kids and yeah. whatever. But it, it'll be very difficult to change the, the attitudes of um, adult men in Japan. So I'm hoping that education can do this, uh, especially mm -hmm. educating boys to, you know, about gender equality and, and to get involved in housework. In Japan, home economics is required That's for great. elementary, junior high, and high school so students. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And so within home economics curriculum, actually some high schools are already doing it, but they're introducing the topic of father's involvement in childcare and housework. So and what they do is sometimes they bring in the, the babies and their moms mm -hmm. and their dads from their community. And then high school kids can actually touch the baby and they can take care of the baby. So it's a very practical kind of curriculum. If boys can get involved from elementary school on, um, this will do some trick. She sounds like a real bear cat. Yeah. She reminded me a lot of my grandma Bernice, and I feel like now we need to spend a minute talking about the power of Bernice's. <laughs> Amy and I both have uh, had in our right. lives uh, a grandma Bernice, mm -hmm. who was very influential. And perhaps the patron saints of Bearcat. Yes. Because, th I mean, through talking about them over the past few years, uh, especially since uh, my Bernice passed away, I think we really hit on something that we've talked, we've circled around for years. Yeah. Which is that we really like talking to women who are uh, wiser than we are. Yes. It's wild yeah. to me that Misako reminded you so much of your grandmother. I know, given that they're from totally different cultures and everything else. Yeah. But yeah, they did. Like, yeah. Yeah, she did. So she has been, you know, training these teachers for a while now. She actually lived in the U.S. for quite a while. And then she also lived in Scandinavia. And she did research in like Norway and Finland and Sweden. So she was like the perfect person to talk to about all this stuff because, yeah. you know, also, she was kind of funny about the Scandinavian thing because I was like, I mean, how do they do that? And she was like, um, they all have live in help. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what? Especially now, apparently, apparently there's like a whole um, in her research, she found that apparently there's like a whole like large and growing community of specifically Filipino women. This is correct. Living in Sweden. I don't know about Denmark. She I do. specifically mentioned Sweden. They are. Interesting. Yes. They're like live in au pairs, basically. There is a very significant au pair program. I wrote about this many years ago. Interesting. The uh, sort of um, unpaid labor of the au pair program because often... Often yeah. they're asked to do more than the job isn't. Is, oh yeah, isn't as as the job is initially outlined. Yes, and when this I this does not surprise me. There are quite a few women in particular, and I guess men too, but it's usually like the mothers that like are like I don't know. There's scope creep, I would say. There on... is there is scope creep on the au pairs. <laughs> yeah. The uh, yeah, yeah the Filipina au pairs in Denmark were uh, in the in the years that I lived in Copenhagen. Sundays were the day that you would they would. Be allowed to leave wherever they worked for a day oh, wow. and you they would be on the subways everywhere and there would just be an influx of of young women out for the day and then you wouldn't see them again for a week that is fascinating it was a little it, it was fascinating 
That's really interesting. But it also like that, I, I kind of wish like that story got out a little bit more here because mm-hmm. I feel like we kind of have a little bit of magical thinking about the idea. And like, I know um, we both talked about this. It was in um, Jessica Crispin's podcast about abolishing marriage that mm-hmm. like um, they talked about how in most cases, like two people is sort of not enough to deal with like a home and children and all these things. It, I think there's like a, I think it's Kurt Vonnegut that has like a famous quote about that or maybe it's it might be philip k dick i don't know anyway one of the like sci-fi guys talked about how um like a lot of the fights in a relationship boil down to like you're not enough people it's very true (laughs) it's incredible and this was this was mentioned in that in that podcast episode about abolishing marriage yeah that it is remarkable and it is when you think about it that we put all of our energy into this single relationship that is supposed to support everything our domestic arrangement our financial needs our uh, intimate sexual needs all of it one person good luck everybody yeah Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's It's crazy. It's a lot to put on another person. Yeah. It's a lot to put on ourselves. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So this idea that like the kind of like magical places that everyone points to is having like the most balance for women and, and like particularly the most balance for parents, that that actually is enabled by another person, usually an underpaid woman. Yes. Usually an un or underpaid woman. (laughs) It's like something I feel like people should talk about more. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Masako is trying to do all of these things. She's training. <laughs> That's I a mean, lot. it's amazing. Like she's like doing all this research, which is then informing the government. And then she's training all these teachers. And then she's also like working on the Ministry of Education there to make home ec not just mandatory, but also part of the exams that people take to go from like one part of school onto another. And this this would make it like really sink in for Japanese students. So they get tested um, whenever they go from like one level to the next. So, you know, from like sixth grade to junior high and then from like eighth grade to high school, like equivalent here. And But even though they're even though they're graduating through the ranks of education, they're not being tested on the subject that goes with them the entirety exactly of their education. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So they have to take home ec all the way through, but they're not, they're currently not, it's not part of the test right now. And so that's the thing that Misako is really pushing for. Cause she's like, that's ridiculous. you know, like they're just gonna, like, it's great that it's mandatory, but they can totally just tune out during these classes because they know it's not on the exam. And Japan is like very kind of an exam focused education yeah. system. Everything is about like getting the like right grades. So you can go on to the right universities. So you can get the right job. And like, you know, so she's kind of like, this is only gonna really, really change if it becomes something that you have to be good at not that you just have to like show up to you know that's incredible yeah i know yeah um it's weird to put it, it's strange to me that a system would put so much emphasis on something and then ultimately not see it through i know it's really interesting like, it's a value or it's not it's well, something you're supposed to learn or it's not right yeah. you know in japan we have to take entrance exams mm-hmm. into college yeah and into high school because our mandatory uh compulsory education ends at the end of junior high school oh wow 15 yeah. age 15 yeah okay so to get into high school you have to take entrance exam yeah to get into college of course you have to take entrance exam yeah and home ec is not part of the subjects 
for the entrance exam. So I serve on gender equality committee yeah. of, of the, the Japanese government. Yeah. And I, I've been saying you have to include home ec as a required subject for entrance exam. Yeah. Because I go to observe home ec uh, classroom yeah. and students are not that serious. Because it doesn't count. Yeah, because it doesn't count. I mean, it's required, but yeah. it doesn't, you don't have to take home ec as an entrance exam subject. Which is a shame because if, if it's teaching really practical stuff, it yeah. might be like the most useful class you take. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I say. Ochanomizu University is famous for um, home ec um, nurturing future homic teachers uh-huh. and yeah. so my seminar students we have affiliated uh, kindergarten all the way up to high school mm-hmm. here on the same campus yeah so my and they have to do teacher training course oh, you cool. know yeah and so my students go there yeah uh, junior high and high school mm-hmm. and they teach um homic classes for yeah. like over two weeks or something during mm-hmm. you know during the early summertime and Teachers who are responsible for these seminar students, we can get to observe them. Yeah. So I always do it. And whenever I go, they they lecture about father's participation, maybe because, you know, they're <laughs> <you're there>. self-conscious. <laughs> I'm there. Yeah. yeah. But nonetheless, though, you know, mm-hmm. I get to observe them teaching. Yeah. And I also get to observe students, how they're attentive and not attentive and things like that. Yeah. And many times these students are like, you know, it's like, Come on, you know, you guys, this is probably one of the most important lessons you take and yeah. to prepare for your future family life or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that, sadly speaking, it's that's the reality. Yeah. And so I think I have high hopes for home education. Mm-hmm. Thus, I go to all different um, areas in Japan to talk to uh, home teachers. Yeah. And encourage them to keep up with the, you know, with their great education and, yeah. um, and things like that. But uh, we still have a long way to go, too. The other thing is, um, hi, one of the big problems with birth rate decline is the labor force. So maybe utilize half of your population's labor. Like, let women work. You know, yeah. like, that's been a yeah. big thing, too. So, like, she has this way of describing um, what we call work-life balance that mm-hmm. was, like, cracking me up for days. When I, when I teach my students or when I give my lectures outside of the university, mm-hmm. I talk about work-life balance is a concept for men. They balance between work and, and life or family. Uh, for women, it's work, 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 life balance. You know, I mean, because the first work usually occurs in the morning hours, you know, when you yeah. have to get up early and fix breakfast and fix, you know, sack lunches or whatever for kids and husbands and, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. then the second work is when they go to paid work. You know, the third one is they come home and they have to bathe their kids and, you know, mm-hmm. they have to do all kinds of cooking. And and then finally a little bit of life comes in. And so for, for women, work-life balance is so much more complicated than men, which is very typical. So work-life balance is just such a simple term but it only uh, applies to men. So yeah, they have this thing in Japan still that's pretty common where they put some women on the executive track and some women on the mommy track and they call it that. I mean, they're pretty like upfront about it. (laughs) Do the women put themselves on those tracks? Yeah, I mean, you you have to like say pretty early on like which one you're gonna do. Which is kind of crazy because then you could change your mind later. I was going to say, what if you do change your mind? Yeah, there's no changing your mind. So this is part of the the stuff that like Masako is trying to get at with her research is that, you know, there's a need for a little more flexibility in that system. Not 
just in terms of like the mommy track, executive track thing, but also she was saying that, you know, a lot of women after their kids start school, maybe want to go back to work part time, but there really aren't part time options for them. So this wow. is like, yeah, I thought we weren't good at that. It turns <laughs> out someone is worse. I know. <laughs> but it's interesting because then they have all these policies that like a lot of people here say would be the fix. Sure. So that's where I'm kind of like, oh, this is really interesting because, you know, will just getting those policies in place be enough to change things here? I don't know. We'll yeah. see. They may have lots of women employees, but look at the the those who are in the managerial positions, very it goes down dramatically. And so that's that's a problem. But those women too who who I mean there are many women who have been working for the same company for some time, but yet they are not willing to go up as as managers. And the most frequently cited reason is the difficulty to balance between work and family. And um and that's that's been happening. I mean, that that is a big problem also for women. Is Masako still training teachers? Yeah, she is. I don't know how old she is because she has that sort of like ageless quality about her, but she's like been researching for more than 30 years. So she's like, she's got to be close to retirement age, but she doesn't seem like she's going to stop until she gets this requirement on the test through. That seems to be like her mission that she wants to accomplish before she, before she stops teaching. And in the meantime, she's always working on like adding new components to the teaching. So right now she's like, I really want to get like a finance and economics component so mm. that people learn early on about how much it costs to run a household. Yeah. And like both genders know that yeah. and both know what it takes and they can think about like how to like really plan for whatever future they want to have and like how to fund that essentially, which I'm like, I would like that lesson. <laughs> I think it's remarkable that that is so radical. Yeah. That that figuring out up front the kind of life that you'd like to have, the kind of family you'd like to have, and then what that's going to take. Yes. That could be built in basically everywhere. Yeah, exactly. We would all benefit tremendously. Yes. I make this argument in my book that I feel like we should do this here, that like basically home ec kind of got thrown out here because it, it was essentially just teaching women how to cook. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and if we actually did it the way that Masako envisions it, and we, you know, talked about it as real family planning. It'd be pretty easy to get like both sides of the aisle on board. Yeah. And would do actually probably a lot more than even like our current sex ed classes are doing. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I, home economics is a pretty useful phrase and a useful way for thinking about yes. how to have the life that you want. Yes. How will your home be and how will the economics of that be? Yes. Whatever you want, whatever you and your partner and the people that you want to have in your family life, yes. whatever all those people buy into together. Yes. Right? Like that's, that's a, it would be useful if everyone had a framework that they could yeah. refer to. Yeah. Like here are some options. Yeah. Here are some ways this could work. Yes. Super useful. And fortunately, we're, we seem like in many parts of the world, we're at a time in history where we can mostly have those conversations. Yes. I always uh, think about telling my grandfather, who is 92, yeah. that I that my, my husband and I are not having children. And yeah. he was so surprised by the fact that we had that conversation yes. when we met. And I said, he said, I, I will never forget explaining this to him because at some point it seemed relevant to tell him. Yeah. And I and I did. I said, you know, we, we talked about this. We don't, we, we decided what we wanted to do. And grandpa said, that sounds like such a difficult conversation to have. 
And I said, Grandpa, that was one of the easiest conversations <laughs> we've ever had. And he thought that was so remarkable because with within this like, you know, several generation gap, yes. that has all really shifted. Yes. So it sounds like Masako is poised to help lead the way on this in a way that will only continue what has sort of already started. Yeah, totally. So it is, it's actually like, it's interesting for, for that to change so dramatically and, and it'll be... It'll be great if Masako can kind of like lead the next change in that, <laughs> in that yeah. direction. Yeah. She was pretty awesome. Also, she has two daughters herself and yeah. she mostly raised them in the US. And so she was she was really interesting about how their take on this stuff is very different than a lot of the Japanese women that she talks to. I think English language itself is very straight language. If yeah. you want to do something, do it. If you don't want him or her do it, then you say no. Japanese language, on the other hand, is it's... very obscure. If the person is, even if the person is saying, yes, I will do it, he or she means probably, no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, it's very, it's very complicated. Yeah. Yes. So um, I'm a bit surprised whenever I go back to California where my, you know, family is. Yeah. And uh, I have two daughters and yeah. they're, they're very direct. You yeah. know, they speak whatever they want to do. And, yeah. and so I'm not so used to these female students I have here who, yeah. are, who, who are very smart and intelligent. But at the same time, they're not willing to, to speak their to minds, say, you know. Yeah, yeah they, they always sort of camouflage, you know, yeah, what yeah, they yeah. want to say. Yeah. And I get kind of used to that being, you know, staying here. But then when I go back, I'm like, oh, that's right. You know, <laughs> my girls are different. I forgot. <laughs> That's it for this time. Thanks for joining us and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of Bearcat. Bearcat is produced by me, Amy Westervelt. And me, Brittany Shute. Our original music is produced by David Whited, and illustrations for each episode are drawn by Jennifer Kirkham. You can find us online at bearcatpodcast.com. And if you have an idea for a Bearcat we should meet or feedback on an episode, send us a note at hey at bearcatpodcast.com. And if you're liking Bearcat so far, please remember to subscribe and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Bearcat is available in the Apple Podcast Store, Google Play, and Stitcher. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time. Um, she's like wants to be mm. a stay-at-home mom. Mm. Her mom worked. Interesting. And she was basically <laughs> raised by a nanny. Oh, so okay. So when she had kids, she wanted to be in Sweden. This was in Sweden. Yeah, right? yeah. Anyway, so she was mm. like, "Oh yeah, I had the hardest time um, keeping boyfriends in Sweden because they all thought it was so weird mm. that I wanted to like cook and clean oh, <laughs> and do all yeah. this stuff." I joke that she had to like come to America to find a, like, <laughs> a misogynist. <in> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.